Amen. And I'm sorry, I should have noted this before we started tonight. The hymn numbers on the hymn board are not for tonight or for tomorrow. They're for Sunday. So don't, don't pay any attention to them uh, because you'll be singing Easter hymns uh, when you oughtn't be. If you um, have a Bible handy, please turn to uh, Luke 22, verses 14 through 23, which is our scripture reading for this evening. It's on page 882 in your pew Bibles. Again, Luke 22, verses 14 through 23. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. Uh, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Here ends the reading of God's word. Please pray, pray with me. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that uh, you have given us your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us your spirit during this hour to write your word on our hearts, that what we hear would be exactly what you intend. Lord, I pray that you would inhabit my poor words and make them suitable for your purposes. Lord, give us all ears to hear, hearts to obey, and Lord, transform us during this hour, that we would become more and more like Jesus. All this we ask in his name. Amen. So Monday, Thursday is a time of unique sadness and sobriety in the church because we recall that it is on this night nearly 2,000 years ago that our Savior was betrayed, arrested, and a few hours later was crucified on the cross. But it's also an evening on which Jesus had much to say to show his apostles then and, and believers throughout the ages since what his love and salvation are all about. John's gospel has the most content for Monday Thursday. As a matter of fact, nearly a third of the entire book uh, is dedicated to the events of this night. But as we're coming to our end of the study of Luke's gospel uh, that we've been in over these last four months, we'll focus on Luke's account this evening. And we'll look at the account uh, of the first Lord's Supper using these three points. Uh, the first is the Lord's Supper points us toward a greater supper. Second is the Lord's Supper points us back 
to a historic deliverance and then what the Lord's Supper means for us. The Lord's Supper points us forward to a greater supper, points us back to a historic deliverance, and then what the Lord's Supper means for us. So the first point, it points forward to a greater supper. So the setting for the meal that's recorded in this evening's passage is what? It's the Passover. As a matter of fact, the the Passover uh, and Easter uh, often coincide, or at least come very close to one another, because they're both uh, oriented toward the first full moon after the uh, beginning of spring. Uh, And so just like uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, this year, Passover begins tomorrow night, uh, just uh, a day uh, before, or a day after, rather, um, uh, when it took place 2,000 years ago. Um, The Passover meal, what we now refer to as the Seder, was the most important meal uh, to Jews in Jesus' time. And we don't really have anything like it today, anything of such historic significance, because families would gather together, uh, traveling often very long distances, and this might be the only time during the year that they see one another. And it was very important that they gathered together for the Passover, because it was a time when they remembered God's particular covenant with the people of Israel. And so that's the occasion on which Jesus tells his disciples to go uh, and find this room. Uh, if, If we had read the verses that preceded tonight's passage, you would see that they sounded very much like the passage we read four days ago on Palm Sunday, where Jesus gives these very... Uh, mysterious directions to his disciples to go and find the the colt on which he is going to ride into Jerusalem. Uh, Similarly, uh, for the events of Monday Thursday, he tells his disciples to go into town, follow a man carrying a jar of water, which would be a very unusual sight, and then follow the man into the house where he enters, and the owner of that house will have uh, an upper room prepared for the disciples to celebrate the Passover together. So Jesus' disciples have been living for days now with a sense of heightened anticipation that this isn't going to be a typical Passover. And why is that? Just four days earlier on what we now call Palm Sunday, Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem as a king. From there, he went into the temple and drove out the merchants and the money changers, acting as though he owned the place. And as a matter of fact, he he used prophecy referring to the temple being God's house in the first person. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And every day since, he's been in that temple, and he's taught to large crowds, and he's won numerous showdowns with the Pharisees and the scribes. The disciples were likely waiting for Jesus to make his move to seize Herod's throne by force and restore a descendant of David the throne in Jerusalem. So when Jesus speaks in verse 16 of not eating the Passover meal before it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, and in verse 18 of drinking no more wine until the kingdom of God comes, his apostles surely thought that the big move was imminent, perhaps just hours away. How long would Jesus wait to eat the Passover meal? How long would he wait to celebrate by drinking wine with them? After all, 
Jesus had said that he would not eat uh, the Passover meal or drink the wine until the kingdom of God, his kingdom, arrives. Yet the short time frame which the apostles anticipated for the kingdom to arrive wasn't at all what Jesus had in mind. Jesus was rather looking forward in history to an event that wouldn't occur in the apostles' lifetimes and hasn't yet occurred in our own. And that event is Jesus' own wedding reception, the marriage supper of the Lamb, described in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. Let me read it to you now. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So do you see what's happening in that account that the Apostle John wrote about 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection? Jesus is is connecting uh, on the night in which he's betrayed the institution of the Lord's Supper to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which will not happen for many, many centuries to come. In the Lord's Supper, we receive the abiding presence of Jesus in us by faith as we take in the, the physical elements of bread and wine or juice. But it's all by faith. Physical symbols like the bread and the juice stand in for the real presence of Jesus. But in the marriage supper of the Lamb, which will take place one day, and I I pray it takes place soon, we are physically present with Jesus. There is no more need for symbols. The marriage supper is the everlasting confirmation of the covenant for him to be with us forever. At that time, we will never be physically separated from him again. And the presence of sin and death will be removed forever so that nothing, not shame, not guilt, not death itself, will ever be able to remove us from his presence. And so when we take part in the Lord's Supper, we look forward with deep anticipation to that day when we will join in that feast that is supreme to all feasts and see Jesus face to face and know him as our husband, as our friend, as our Lord. That moves us on to the second point. The Lord's Supper points back to a historic deliverance. The meal in Revelation 19 is described as the marriage supper of the Lamb, and Jesus is the Lamb. It's it's his marriage supper. And why is that? Why is he called the Lamb? because the Lord's Supper celebrated on Passover looks back to the first Passover many centuries before. On that night uh, of the first Passover, roughly 3,500 years ago, the Hebrews remained slaves in Egypt. The Lord had brought nine plagues on Egypt up to that point, and still Pharaoh refused to release the people of God from their bondage. And so the Lord brought a tenth plague, a terrible plague, 
worse than all of the rest combined to bear on Israel, on, on Egypt rather. And the plague consisted of this. In the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord would pass through all Egypt and kill the firstborn child in every household and in every barn. It was a small foretaste of God's wrath poured out on unbelievers at the final judgment. The only way for a family to be protected from this plague was for them to gather inside of their homes and to follow the Lord's instructions closely. He told them to kill a young male lamb without blemish and to smear the lamb's blood on the doorpost of the house. And when they uh, had done that, they were to cook and eat all of the lamb. When the angel of the Lord saw the blood on the doorpost of the house, he would pass over it and not bring judgment on anyone inside, hence the name Passover. And this is a point not to be overlooked. The Hebrews were not spared because they were Hebrews, but because of the blood on the doorposts of the house. God warned Moses and Aaron that no one should go outside of their houses until morning, because if they did, they would no longer be under the protection of the blood. Their lives would be forfeit. So it was only through the blood of the innocent lamb shed for the protection of those in the house that God's judgment passed over. Fast forward nearly 1,500 years and we find Jesus and his apostles eating the traditional Passover meal in the upper room in Jerusalem. And it is a curiosity that there is no mention of a lamb at this Passover meal. The lamb is meant to be the main course. It's like having... Thanksgiving with no turkey, or Easter with no ham. There was bread and there was wine, but where was the lamb whose blood would be shed to avert God's wrath? Well, to quote Tim Keller, there was no lamb on the table because the lamb was at the table. Here, just as we saw Jesus connect the Lord's Supper to the future marriage feast of the lamb in verses 16 through 18, In verses 19 and 20, we see Jesus connect the Lord's Supper to Passover. Not just to the traditional Passover meal celebrated annually by the Jews, but to the first Passover when the Hebrews were still slaves in Egypt. Where's the connection? In verse 19, it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And just as generations of Jews had eaten those Passover lambs, remembering that it was only through the death of the lamb that deliverance was possible, Jesus says to the apostles and to us, it's only through my death that deliverance is possible. And so when we receive the bread in the Lord's Supper and take it into our bodies, we, we are in a sense united with him in his death. We take the symbol of his broken body into us and receive its benefits by faith, the knowledge of our full deliverance. In verse 20 we read, And likewise he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup uh, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so just as for 15 centuries Jews had known that it was through the protection of blood that they and their ancestors were delivered from judgment and death, Jesus said here, the blood of all those millions of lambs over all of these years didn't do anything except point to my blood. It was effective 
because it pointed forward to a greater reality. My blood is the only blood that can really deliver from death. And so when we receive the wine or the juice in the Lord's Supper, we receive the assurance of our deliverance by faith that since we're covered by the blood of the once-for-all Lamb of God, because we bear by faith the blood of the Lamb within us, God's wrath has passed over us for all time. And I should say, too, that another connection to the Passover is that the uh, angel of the Lord came in order to uh, bring this plague in order that God's people would be delivered from bondage to slavery. They, they were physically slaves in Egypt. And sure enough, they were brought out. And after a delay due to their own sin, they were brought into the promised land. What Jesus does through his death is he frees us from the bondage to our own sin and death which is infinitely greater than being a slave. Being a slave won't kill you, for the most part. But bondage to sin and death has a 100% mortality rate. And Jesus loves us so much that he didn't withhold anything, including his own precious life, in order that we would be delivered from that bondage. And so point three... Here's what the Lord's Supper means for us. I want to briefly mention three things that it means. One, the Lord's Supper is meant to reassure us. It can be really difficult to remain confident in God's love and in his faithfulness to remember his covenant with us. I think the two main reasons for that is that we continue sinning. And that in our pride, we really don't think we're that bad that we don't need saving in the first place. Jesus says something very interesting in verse 15. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And although uh, in the original Greek, rather, it doesn't say, I earnestly desired. There's, there's really no precise English translation for what Jesus said there. What he uses are two forms of the same word, back-to-back. -back. And in a Semitic language like Aramaic, which Jesus was probably speaking, to repeat a word means that the speaker wants to emphasize that word. And the word that Jesus used is translated into Greek as epithumia, which means a strong or overpowering desire. And so what Jesus really says here is, I couldn't wait to share this meal with you. It's been one of my great desires. Jesus says that because he deeply loved his apostles. And he deeply loves all those who believe in him through their testimony. If you are a believer in Christ, you share in that love. And I encourage you, when you receive the elements in the Lord's Supper, to remember that you are deeply, deeply loved by Jesus. Two, the Lord's Supper is meant to unite us to Jesus and to one another. It's hard to mistake that the Lord's Supper is presented in the form of a meal. A meal which we take into our own physical bodies, uh, physical elements which represent the body and blood of Jesus. 
One of the very practical lessons we learn from the physical elements of the Lord's Supper and what we do with them is that we have union with Christ. We literally take Christ into us and receive the benefits of that union by faith. What a wonderful way to prove to us time and time again that we are his. He is in us and we are in him. What a powerful reminder that Uh, that is as well of the holiness that the Spirit is growing in us through our sanctification. When we read in Revelation 19 about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it says that the bride has made herself ready, growing in holiness and purity of heart is, is one way by which that process is taking place. But the other practical lesson we learn from the physical elements of the Lord's Supper is that it's a communal meal. It's not an individual experience. We don't take the Lord's Supper by ourselves, standing over the sink or standing in front of the TV. It's it's even set up on this piece of furniture, which is called a communion table. This, This is a meal that is meant to be shared in the context of the gathering of God's people. As a matter of fact, every time we see the Lord's Supper mentioned in Scripture, it's in the context of God's people gathering together. And so we're reminded as we receive the Lord's Supper together uh, and take uh, the elements into our bodies together, that we are one body with Christ, one body of which he is the head. We are brothers and sisters together in the body of Christ. We have the privilege of walking with one another through life, of encouraging one another, of rebuking one another, of speaking the truth in love with one another, of building up each other. In Christ. Third and last, the Lord's Supper is meant to challenge us. The Apostle Paul tells us that it is God's kindness toward us that is meant to lead to our repentance. That's in Romans 2. And in Romans 12, he becomes more specific by way of application. Here's what he says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Essentially, what Paul says here is, remember how merciful God is to you. Soften your heart toward him and respond in gratitude and in faith through repentance. And so I encourage you as you receive the Lord's Supper, ask the Lord to grant you grace to walk in the new life and the new heart you've received through the work of Jesus Christ for you. Ask for grace in order to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the softening of your heart. And in all of that, as the bride of Christ, you are being made ready to see Jesus in person one day and to join with him in the fulfillment of this meal that we are about to receive. Please pray with me. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for this meal. Thank you, Lord, for the witness it is to the the. Tremendous 
banquet that we will have with you one day as we are present with you, not only at your marriage feast, but ours. Lord, I pray that we would desire that day uh, with more fervor, with with greater anticipation than anything else we could desire. And I pray, Lord, that we would choose uh, in the strength that you give us to live life, lives rather, that are worthy of your love and your sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.